You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to GI Insights, where we cover the latest clinical issues, trends, and technologies in gastroenterological practice. GI Insights is brought to you by AGA Institute. Your host for GI Insights is Professor of Medicine and Director of the Digestive Disease Center at the Medical University of South Carolina, Dr. Mark DeLeggi. Probiotics are a relatively unregulated medical frontier and have been touted for their broad-spectrum health benefits. Many physicians assume that probiotics can help our patients with irritable bowel syndrome or inflammatory bowel disease, but should we be wary of probiotic efficacy claims? Joining us to discuss probiotics for IBS and IBD, what's the harm, is Dr. Charles Bernstein, Professor of Medicine, Head of the Section of Gastroenterology and Director of the University of Manitoba Inflammatory Bowel Disease Clinical and Research Center at the University of Manitoba, Canada. Welcome, Dr. Bernstein. Thank you. So, Charles, I have to start right off and say this whole probiotics, IBS, IBD connection, how might they work? What's the deal here with regards to its possible mechanism of action? Well, just to remind you, Mark, and the listeners that probiotics are actual uh, bacteria that some reside in our bodies, and in fact, most probiotics reside in our bodies within our gut uh, lumen. There are more bugs in our gut than there are cells in our body, and so our gut is very active with billions and billions of bugs, and the bugs that are present in our bowels actually serve a number of important physiological processes, and probably without them, we wouldn't be able to survive and have normal health, normal digestion, and normal absorption of nutrients. And so it's really been in the last decade that it's come to the fore that perhaps administering exogenous bugs, uh, exogenous probiotics, these quote-unquote harmless bugs and not pathogenic bugs, and in fact bugs that may have some good, administering them to people in health and in disease may actually have some benefit. So people have considered using probiotics and have been taking probiotics to quote-unquote prevent disease because taking them may actually be beneficial. And furthermore, in the last five to ten years, people have been using probiotics to actually treat disease. Now, people have been doing this based on the concepts that probiotics may be of benefit, But in fact, I think that there's really very little data that probiotics are truly of benefit in the type of rigorous type of studies we expect of usual pharmaceuticals that do get regulated. And that's where probiotics are a little bit different than the average drug in that there really is very little regulation of them. And people can promote the use of probiotics for health and in treating disease in the absence of having really rigorous data. And I think what we've been deluged with through ads on TV and in the newspaper and in the press is companies that make yogurt and other probiotic additives suggesting that these are all good for our health and the lay public buying into this in a very big way. And we don't really have a lot of data that, in fact, probiotics are good for the gastrointestinal diseases that you've alluded to. I'm glad you said that because that was going to be my next question. After I got done watching TV the last few months, I'm convinced if I eat yogurt, my bowel symptoms will go away completely. But what you're saying is that the rigorous evidence that probiotics work in either IBS or IBD may be lacking? 
That's correct. In fact, if we start with IBD, the inflammatory bowel diseases, Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, in fact, the only aspect of those diseases where there's reasonable proof that probiotics can have a beneficial effect is in an entity called pouchitis. So that's for people who have their colons removed with ulcerative colitis and they have an ileoanal pouch created, about 40% of those people may get pouchitis at some time. And in fact, about 10% of people may get chronic pouchitis. And we're not really sure we understand what pouchitis is, but it seems to respond to antibiotics. And so it's plausible that there's some alteration in the bowel flora and the ileoanal pouch. And so about four to five years ago, a couple of studies were initiated through a group in Italy using a probiotic compound called VSL number three, was shown to be effective at maintaining remission in pouchitis in actually up to three controlled studies that were placebo controlled. Now, VSL number three has not been uh, really studied very much outside of Italy in controlled trials in this disease entity of pouchitis. But other than in pouchitis, in ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease, there's really very little data that probiotics are effective. There's certainly lots of enthusiasm that they might be effective. There's a probiotic called E. coli Nisla 1917. Very interesting E. coli organism that's non-pathogenic. It's actually called Nisla 1917 because it was actually an E. coli that was derived from a patient named Nisla back at the end of the First World War who was actually ill, but actually they cultured this E. coli and it ultimately that's a German group that markets this compound, and it is a quote-unquote probiotic E. coli. And there's a few studies that it may be equally effective to low-dose 5-ASA in ulcerative colitis, but those studies have uh, small numbers, and in fact, as I said, there it was being compared to low-dose 5-ASA, and so I'm not actually sure that E. coli Nisla 1917 would be as effective as moderate doses of 5-ASA. There's been a placebo-controlled study in ulcerative colitis from Ireland, really quite an excellent study, a large study, that actually did not show any benefit of the probiotics studied in in that study. And there was recent studies using probiotics to maintain remission after surgical-induced remission in Crohn's disease. And a series of studies using a variety of lactobacilli were actually negative. A more recent study using that compound I mentioned, VSL number 3, and treating post-op Crohn's disease to prevent remission did not quite reach statistical significance. So in all, it was a negative study, although there was a trend towards perhaps fewer of the VSL number three patients relapsing at one year compared to placebo patients. So all in all, there's really very little data to support probiotics as being effective in inflammatory bowel disease. The counterbalance is when patients come in to see their physicians and say, well, you know, doc, I'm taking acidophilus or I'm taking lactobacillus. I think this is helping me. What do you think I should do? Should I keep doing this? And usually most doctors shrug their shoulders and say, well, it's probably not harmful. Maybe it'll help. Or if you think it's helping you, why don't you go ahead? The reality is is that's probably true, that it probably isn't harmful. But we don't actually know. There aren't a lot of long-term safety data on these things either. And they're not rigorously studied, as you and I have said at the outset, the way pharmaceuticals are. And so there's just an assumption that they're quite safe, and uh, there's very little data that they're effective. 
If you're just tuning in, you're listening to GI Insights from ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Mark DeLegge, and joining me to discuss probiotics for IBD and IBS, what's the harm, is Dr. Charles Bernstein, professor of medicine, head of the section of gastroenterology and director of the University of Manitoba Inflammatory Bowel Disease Clinical and Research Center at the University of Manitoba, Canada. So I have to ask this then. There's a lot of different strains of bacteria falling under this title of probiotics. Should we be looking at single strains when we're doing testing? Should we look at combination strains? How do we even know what dose to use? Well, that's a great question, Mark, and I think therein lies amongst some of the biggest problems we have with this whole probiotic field. Even with lactobacillus itself, which is probably the most common probiotic around, the most common one used, and if you went into a health food store or even just your regular grocery store, you could probably find dozens of different strains and doses of these uh, bugs. In fact, when some of them have been tested, some companies are actually selling strains of probiotics that aren't even alive, although I must add, I don't know that we know for certain the bugs need to be alive to have some effect. So that having been said, what ends up happening is that whatever companies have their probiotics and their yogurt or whatever they have it in, they just tout it as being uh, beneficial and effective. And there are some groups that are really rigorously studying probiotics. In fact, I alluded to a group in Ireland at the University of Cork that have studied strains of bifidobacteria and lactobacillus, and they've really done this at a high scientific level where they've not only determined that the probiotics are actually getting into the bowel and measuring fecal bacterial counts, they're also doing some other biologic studies to determine that these probiotics are having some effect on the gut and measuring, for instance, cytokine levels in animal models as well as in humans after the probiotics are being administered. And so there are centers that are actually taking on uh, the study of probiotics in a more rigorous way and determining whether they do have a biological effect and determining in a rigorous way outcomes in some of these studies. And so if such a group is studying a probiotic and actually determines it to be effective, that would be the type of probiotic that I would be recommending for somebody to take because rather than just pulling any lactobacillus or bifidobacterium off the shelf in any dose that it's marketed in, I'd certainly much rather have the type of information that this strain of bug in this dose actually can be effective for this condition. And so, in fact, in the irritable bowel syndrome field, which we didn't touch on, we were touching on inflammatory bowel disease, there's lots of different probiotics that have been studied. What's even more confusing with irritable bowel syndrome, there's lots of different outcomes that have been touted to have been impacted upon by probiotics, composite symptom scores, bloating, diarrhea, etc., and actually, in irritable bowel syndrome, it's been suggested that probiotics may have more of an effect than in inflammatory bowel disease. And in fact, one of the better irritable bowel syndrome studies was using this bifidobacteria strain from Ireland. And that was a very good study, although it showed a benefit of this bifidobacteria for up to four weeks, and that was the duration of the study. Well, you and I know that irritable bowel syndrome is really a condition that lasts for not weeks, but months or years or even a lifetime. And so the other thing we need is not just short-term studies to see whether these agents have an impact, 
but long-term studies as well. Now, along the lines of sort of deciding on a strain or how do you know what's effective, there's a really interesting study that's come out of France that has suggested that Crohn's disease was associated with a decrement in a type of bacteria present in the bowel called Fecalobacterium prosnitzii. And what this group in France is doing is saying, okay, we have found that in Crohn's disease patients compared to healthy controls, there's a reduction in this type of Fecalobacterium prosnitzii. And therefore, let's turn around and see if administering that bug can actually have a beneficial effect. So that's a very exciting type of study, and it makes sense. There's an actually biological reason to pursue that because they've, on the one hand, found this reduction in that type of bug, and now they're going to turn around and say, well, if we add that bug in, will it have a beneficial effect? So I think your question is really the germane one to say, look, there's hundreds of these different strains of bugs out there. People are going to different drug stores, health food stores, grocery stores, you know, buying whatever sort of comes at them off the shelf or whatever is recommended to them by friends or family or even healthcare providers. And the question is, as physicians, when we're seeing them, we really don't know whether what they're taking is going to have any beneficial effect. I'd like to thank my guests from the University of Manitoba, Canada, Dr. Charles Bernstein. Dr. Bernstein, thank you very much for being our guest this week on GI Insights. My pleasure. You've been listening to GI Insights on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. GI Insights is brought to you by AGA Institute. For additional information on this program and on-demand podcasts, visit us at ReachMD.com and use promo code AGA. AGA.